No greater responsibility that God gives us than the opportunity to raise people who can absolutely change the world. Amen. And so I'm excited about that this morning. I'm also excited about this lesson we're going to be teaching for the next couple of weeks. As you know, we've been progressing in our teaching on this series about the love of God. And how many of you know that as you've been hearing this message and you've been reading through those scriptures and you've been thinking about the love of God, there's been some challenges. Amen. Anybody can testify to that? But how many of you know how good it feels when you pass those challenges? Amen. There's nothing more empowering than to be faced with the test and then to ace the test. And so literally what we want to do is to continue to encourage you on how to ace the test of life. And so I, we're beginning this series, and it's entitled The Believer's Authority. Uh, and it's a 10-point study, and I want to walk you through over the, next, over the next several weeks about what happened uh, in the kingdom so that you understand that you have an authority that is granted to you so that you are not subjugated to everything just happening to you, that you have power and ability given to you by God to call those things that be not as though they are and then see them manifest in your life. Amen? Tell your neighbor before we get started, say, neighbor, you are not hopeless. That's right. We want to get rid of the spirit of hopelessness. There is no spirit of hopelessness where the word of God is concerned. And so I began to, to think about this because the Lord gave me a question as I was studying and reading. Many of you know it. We won't even go there this morning. But there's a scripture in the Bible, and it begins to talk about a centurion or a general in the army. Uh, and he begins to ask Jesus to heal a member of his family. Uh, and he began to ask him uh, by, by simply saying, you know, I need healing for, for my son. And, and, and then basically what he says to Jesus was, was, was really powerful because he says, I don't even need you to come to my house to heal him. I just need you to say he's healed. He said, because if you say it, there's authority in your word. And wherever authority is, everything that's subject to it has to obey. And Jesus marveled at this statement because the man said to him, he said, I am a man of authority. And I have people who are under me who are subjugated to my authority. He said, in so much that if I say come, they come. If I say go, they go. He says, and so if I have this kind of authority in my realm, then I what kind of authority you have in your realm. And so I'm saying to you this morning that God has given you the same authority that that centurion had. You don't have to wait to come to church to get healed. You don't have to wait to come to church to get delivered. You can open up your mouth wherever you are sitting in a cubicle on your job and declare that promotion comes to you and you'll be on your way to promotion. But the key to that is exactly what Pastor Sean said this morning. She says you have to believe it first. And here's the great thing about a lot of people in northwest Arkansas. We're highly intelligent people. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, neighbor. Intellect, intellect sometimes, sometimes can, work can work against your faith. See, you got to be dumb enough to just believe everything you read in the Bible. Because, see, sometimes what happens is folks are so smart, they read something in the Bible, and they get 15 commentaries, and they just talk their way out of what God said to them. But how many of you know if God said you heal, that's really all you need to know? You ain't got to figure out how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen, what you got to, all you got to do is just believe. For the Bible says all things are what? Possible to them who do what? Believe. And so I want to talk to real quick about understanding the authority that you've been given as a born-again believer. So let me ask this. Any born-again believers in the house? Any proud born-again believers in the house? I mean, go ahead and give God some praise because you are a candidate to operate in that authority. Amen? So I want to begin, and I, I think Caleb, I may have given you the wrong. I want to begin with, with uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Now, I made this easy for you because I've been working on this for a little bit. You're not going to have to turn to all the scriptures today. I've put the scriptures in the PowerPoint so you can just write them down so you can go back and study them for yourself. Because we got a lot of things to cover today, and I don't want us to get bogged down with turning, amen? I know we use cell phones and iPads and everything else, and sometimes I'm telling you to go to Genesis, and you're over there in Romans saying amen. And we, we, don't, we don't want that to happen to you today. So we just want you to just look up here, write it down, take a picture, whatever you got to do. But Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 says something powerful to us. It says that he gave some apostles, he gave some prophets, he gave some evangelists, and he gave some pastors and teachers. So in essence, in Ephesians, when Paul is writing this letter to them, he is saying to them, there are people in the church who have certain callings or certain dispensations or they have certain 
giftings. And the giftings are designed for a specific purpose. And he names what those offices are. And he says something to them in verse 12. He says they are for the perfecting of who? The saints. Why? They are for the work of what? And for the what? Edifying of the body of Christ. So I say to people all the time, my job is to not be an entertainer. See, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. It doesn't say entertainer. So my job is not to entertain you for the hour that we have together. My job is to instruct you. And sometimes instruction always tickle everything about you. But if you understand that, you go to church, and you go to church almost like you go to class. You're like, I'm going to school to learn something that I can put into my life and practice. Amen? So, so, so I may throw a joke in there every now and then, but my whole job is to help you become a worker of the kingdom. Amen? Tell your neighbor, say, my job, my job. is to learn, to learn so that I can be a worker in the kingdom. Now, now, I don't just mean moving chairs. I don't just mean setting up. I don't just mean singing. When I say being a worker in the kingdom, I'm talking about using your authority to bring other people into the kingdom of God. Amen? One of the major jobs, and I want to say it, and I keep saying it and saying it and saying it, one of the major jobs of every believer is to connect other people to Jesus Christ. It, it, you, you cannot forget that that is part of your job. No matter whatever else God has called you to, and he's called all of us to do many different things, your job is to be a bill bridger, a, a, a bridge builder between people who don't know God and God himself. And you have to see yourself as having the authority to do that. Say, I have the authority to connect unbelievers to Jesus Christ. And I think that's important. You got, you got to remember that as we go through because we're going to talk about how you got this authority. Now, let's look at Luke chapter 9, verse 1 through 10. Luke chapter 9, verse 1 through 10. We're going to see an example of what Jesus did with his disciples. And I believe that if you look at this, you can see the intent of what God meant for us as a body. For me as a pastor, for you as a, as a partner, and for us collectively as we're supposed to impact the kingdom. So look at Luke chapter 9 verse 1 because we're talking about the believer's authority. It says, then he called his 12 disciples together and he gave them what? Power and what? Authority. Power and authority. Let me show you what authority looks like. Uh, Chase, come here. You see how I called his name? You see what he did? What did he do? Why did you come up here? Position of authority, right? Why else did you come up here? Okay, see how that works? I, we didn't even practice this, did we? Okay, why? you came up here because I'm your dad and I'm in charge. And what happens if you don't come when I call you? Thank you, sir. Go sit down. <laughs> you, you understand how power and authority works? You've been given power and authority over every demonic force there is. There's not a demonic force that comes against you that you don't have the power to do just what I did. And watch this. Devils understand when you say go, if you say it with power and authority, that they have to go because if they don't, there's consequences. So, so you got to get yourself ready to see yourself as a person who's not begging to get out of poverty, who's not begging to get out of sickness, who's not begging to not be oppressed, who's not begging to get the next job. you got to see yourself as a person who has power and authority and that that power and authority has been granted to you by your father. And when you understand that your daddy gives you something, and watch this, here's how power and authority works. Have, as a parent, have you ever had your oldest kid someplace else in the house and the youngest kid was closest to you and you didn't feel like screaming to the oldest kid? So you told the youngest kid in the family to go tell them to come in? And see, in our house, sometimes it happens that way and it's with Canaan. And they're like, I ain't doing what you say. And then she have to come back and she said, they said they ain't coming. I said, go tell them their daddy said come in. Then she go downstairs like this. Daddy said, you better come upstairs right now, and if you don't, why? Because she's been given power and authority. And when you receive power and authority, you don't act the same way you used to act. 
When you understand your power and your authority that's been given to you, you go out and you do things differently. So the Bible says he gave them power and authority over how, over who? Some of the devils. Most of the devils. He said he gave them power over all. He didn't even bother naming them. He just said, whatever comes against you, know you got power over it. He says, and to cure some of the diseases. Most of the diseases. Everything but cancer. He said, every disease there is, you have power over it. Now, here's what I, when I started studying this, I started thinking about this, and I want you to think about this. He gave that authority to men who were not full of the Holy Ghost. Now, 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 pause for a moment and think about it. He gave this power and authority to mere mortal means. Jesus was here on earth. He had not left yet, so the Holy Spirit had not come back. They had no indwelling power. They had no dudamus that you and I have. But the Bible says that even without that indwelling, just based on the word and the authority that he gave them, it says he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to do what? Heal the sick. It wasn't just physical healing. People who were crazy, they healed because they were sick in their mind. People who had infirmities of all kinds of things, whether it was in their body, whether their mental state, whether it was an emotional state. He said, you have the power and the authority to heal them all. He said, go and preach the kingdom. Now, when we talk about preaching the kingdom, here's what we talk about. We talk about preaching the good news. You ever heard the gospel called the good news? Do you know that literally translated that word gospel means too good to be true news? It's, it's the reason that they didn't, they, they, they really only used the term in, 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 in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When you see the word gospel, because Jesus was telling them things that was almost too good to be true news. He's telling them that they can be free from sickness, they can be free from debt, they don't have to suffer, they don't have to be subjugated to demons. That was almost too good to be true news to them. I wonder if I got five folk in here who believe the too good to be true news. Just five folk who says, you know what? I believe that the news I'm hearing is too good to be true, but I believe I receive it. Now watch this. Next verse. He says to them in verse 3, he says, to them, he says, and he said unto them, take nothing for your journey. Now watch this. He's given them power and authority, but he says don't take anything. He said don't take, don't take chef. He says don't take your script, don't take a coat, don't take bread, don't take no money. He says don't take two, two pieces of coat. Don't take nothing with you. It says, in whatsoever house you go into when you're in that city, he says, just stay there. He said, and then depart out of that same house. In other words, don't go looking for something better. He says, when you go into the city, just go into the city. The people who open up their house to you, you stay there. Next verse. He says, and, and whosoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, he says, simply shake the dust off your, simply shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. It says, and they departed. And they went through the towns. Now, remember, they've been given a commission. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, they've been given a commission. Now, help me preach to me this morning. What was their commission? To preach the kingdom, heal the sick, and to cure all diseases. It says, and they departed, and they went through the towns preaching the gospel and doing what? Healing everywhere. Okay, next verse. It says, then Herod heard of all of this. And he says, and he was perplexed because he knew that, he, well, one of my translation says he knew he had beheaded John the Baptist. He said some said that John the Baptist was raised from the dead. And some of them said it was Elijah had appeared. And others that uh, one of the older prophets had risen again. Verse 9. It says, but Herod said, John, I have beheaded. But who is this of who I hear such things? And he desired to see them. It says, and the apostles, when they returned. Now, remember, they were given the commission. They went out, they did their job, they returned, they told him all that they would, had done. And he took them, and they went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethesda. Now watch this. Here's what happened. They, were, they received power. They got that power. They went out and did exactly what that power told them to do. You and I have the same ability. Oh, I didn't get no amens on that. You got to believe. Listen. You got to, sometimes you got to say amen, even if you ain't sure, because amen means it's so. I said you have the same power and the same ability to go out and do exactly what those disciples did. Amen. See, there you go. Y'all quit class. You got to go out and do exactly what God has told you to do. Did you notice they didn't have a dialogue with Jesus about their educational level? 
They didn't have a dialogue with Jesus about, about, about their ethnicity. They didn't talk to Jesus about whether or not they were qualified, whether they had been to seminary. They just got a word that said, go out, preach the gospel, and heal the sick, and cure them of all their diseases. The Bible says they went out and did that, and they returned and told Jesus all about it. That's what church ought to look like. That's what church ought to look like. We ought to come in here, make our confessions, sing our songs, get empowered, and spend our next six days out there changing the world. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, neighbor. Church, church is more, is more than, this than this one hour. Yeah, you spend the majority of your life not in here. And so we got to make sure that we are people who believe in the authority that we have because we believe in the authority of who gave it to us. Amen. So let's take a look at this. If you'll go to the PowerPoint, I have 10 points that, I, that and we won't get through all of them today, but we have 10 points that I want to share with you. Oh, you may not be able to see the first one. I can read it to you. you we have 10 points that I want to share with you because these 10 points outline our progression from Adam to our righteousness of God. And you need to understand how this happened when it happened, what God did to get it back, so no one can ever talk you out of being in the position of knowing your authority. Number one is Adam receives his authority. We're going to talk about how Adam received his authority. How many of you know Adam was the first man? Okay, Adam was the first man, and there were some things the first man did that wasn't right, but the Bible says the last Adam rectified that. The last Adam was Jesus Christ, and he rectified the situation that Adam got us into. In fact, that brings us to point number two. We're going to talk about Adam's treacherous decision. How many of you ever made some bad decisions in your life? You ought to set yourself free. Say, say this this morning. Say, bad decisions, bad decisions. in my past, in my past. Do, not do not determine this the, 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 my, destiny my destiny or my future. Or my future. Amen. Amen. I've made some horrible decisions. I made some bad. And how many know you wish you could take them back? But wish you could take them back, don't do nothing. You, you can't take them back. What you can do is change, though. And you can change, and your past doesn't have to affect your future. Then we're going to talk about, after that decision, what happened so that Satan got all this rule and all this dominion in the earth. And I used to always say, I don't know about you, when I was little, I used to always say, why didn't the Lord just not let Adam mess up? Then we wouldn't have to worry about all this sin. Well, the reality of it is, is that if you understand your authority, you don't have to worry about all this sin. You don't have, amen, you don't have to worry about it because God has made a way of escape for you and I. You and I are not subject to the sins of this world. God has made a way for you and I to be redeemed from all that, amen? And then we're going to talk about how, number four, the incarnation of the word. Satan came and he was ruling, but God never left it up to Satan. He never left us without hope in this world. The Bible tells us, and I love this scripture, it says, in the beginning was what? The word and the word what? was with God. And then you go down to verse 14 and it says, and that word became flesh. And it dwelt among us and we beheld the glory of that word. And so you and I have to understand that man, it may seem like life is rough. It may seem like life is tough, but we have Jesus. We have Jesus. And if you have Jesus, you are not in this world without hope. Amen? And then we're going to talk about how the ultimate sacrifice came because that plays into how you and I got redeemed. And if you don't understand these steps and you don't see these steps, you ain't got to memorize them, but you have to know, listen, I'm not just believing some fairy tale. This is a sequential order of how God set us free. Number six talks about the new creation. Say, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. See, and I love the illustration that we talk about so many times about a butterfly. Because a butterfly is not just um, something that's been re-imaged or remade. A, a butterfly is literally a totally different organism when it comes out of the cocoon. It is not the same thing that went in. It's not that caterpillar. They, they, they don't even have the same DNA structure. Everything changes when that butterfly comes out the cocoon. And that's how it ought to be for us as believers. When we're born-again believers, we are not who we used to be. Amen, somebody. We are not who we used to be. Now, there are some things because we are human that we have to unlearn, but the spiritual side of us is created brand new in the image of God. Amen? And then we're going to talk about this image of God because I believe it's so important 
that in the society that we live in, that we understand who God is as a father. Because in this world, we've had so many poor examples of fathers. Now, now, that, now, that ain't an indictment against anybody in here, but in the world, we've had so many poor examples of what a father is, and some of us in here have had poor examples of what fathers is. And if you're not careful, you'll begin to relate to God in the way you relate to your natural father. And tell your neighbor, say, we don't ever want that to happen. Yeah. Right, right. I don't care how good your dad is, you always want to see God as better than that. Because the Bible says to us, it says, if your earthly fathers, being evil, know how to give good gifts, then how much more does your heavenly father want to give you gifts that bless you and increase you? Amen? And so we got to make sure that we see the image of God as our father for who he is. And then we talk about how that image, in point eight, we talk about how that image translates into our righteousness. Hear me when I say this. You are not righteous because of what you don't do. You are not righteous because of what you don't do. If you believe that you are righteous because of what you don't do, you have put yourself back under the law. And the Bible says that when you were under the law, if you couldn't keep one of them, you couldn't keep any of them. That if you broke one of them, you had, in essence, broken all of them. So you must understand that your righteousness is, 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 is not of the fact that you can or can't control yourself to do something. Your righteousness has been given to you because of what Jesus did. Now, this is going to open up a whole new can of worms because people say, well, wait a minute. If I'm already forgiven of all my sins, past, present, and future, does that mean I can just wild out and do whatever I want to? No. No. I tell people, who, no. if you have somebody who's good to you, who, now think about this. If they're really, really good to you and somebody's treating you right, do you want to just use and abuse them? No. So the relationship with the father is the same. We don't not sin. Well, some people don't not sin because of the consequences. We don't sin because we don't want to disappoint the father because we have such good relationship. We, we have such good relationship. If somebody said to you, I'm going to be your friend no matter what you do to me, that don't give you a license to just treat them bad. In fact, when someone says, I'm going to be your friend no matter what we go through, it makes you want to do something nice for them even the more. So when God says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, Lord, I'll be with you even to the end of time, that don't make me want to go outside and just wild out and do all kind of crazy stuff because he's going to forgive me. It means I want to cultivate that relationship. And you have to understand that righteousness is not of you, it is of God. And then we're going to talk about how when you understand that, and for point number nine, how you become created in Christ Jesus in his image and in right standing. I want you to understand something. If you could ever see yourself the way God sees you, you feel invincible. You feel invincible. There was a man in the Bible, and the Bible says he was hiding out in a wine press. And he was terrified. He was hiding from God. And when God saw him hiding, he called him a coward. He called him a mighty man of valor. Even in your worst of times, God ain't talking bad to you. You better hear me this morning. Even, even when you blew it, even when you messed up beyond messed up, God is not talking to you about how you blew it and how bad you are and you're a horrible dad, you're a horrible mother, can't believe you did this, you call yourself a Christian. The Bible says those words come from the devil because he's an accuser of the brethren. Listen, God may say to you, I need you to change. That's not, you're not heading in the right direction. But if you're hearing stuff like, you just stupid, you just dumb, that ain't God. That's not God. God doesn't talk to his children that way. God's not throwing, watch this, God's not throwing his children away. God ain't picking us out. Because, do you understand if God was going to pick us based on sin, we might as well all turn these mics off and get up out of here right now? I don't care what you have done, what you're thinking about doing, or what you will do. If it was based on that, none of us qualify. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, neighbor. You, qualify you qualify in spite of. That's right. You qualify in spite of. And we're going to talk about how to see ourselves in spite of ourselves. And then the last point, we're going to talk about this power and authority and how when God gave it to us, it placed all things under our feet. Amen? All things. That means poverty. That means sickness. That means depression. Everything that's not of God is under our feet. We have authority over it. But you have to demonstrate that. You have to demonstrate that power. If you are, if you are employed and the person above you gives you certain authority, if you don't act in that authority, the people under you won't believe you have that authority.
You know, if you're a boss and you keep telling people if they're late for work, you won't write them up. But they keep being late and you'll never write them up. They don't believe you. You keep telling your kids what you're going to do if they don't do something. They keep doing the same thing and you don't do something. They don't believe you. You keep telling the devil how you ain't going to bow to sickness, but you keep bowing to sickness. He don't believe you. And if he don't believe you, he's going to keep antagonizing you. He's going to keep terrorizing you. So I got to get you to believe what the Bible says about you because the moment you believe it, we talked about this a few weeks ago, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will start to speak. And then it won't be making confessions just on Sunday when, you, when we say, come on, time to make confessions. You'll wake up in the morning, and out of your heart, you'll start making your confessions. Out of your mouth, you'll start saying the very things that God has said to you because you believe them. I was talking to a friend of mine. How many of you know that in, this was actually yesterday? We were in Dr. Courage's session yesterday, uh, and one of the things we talked about was that how many of you, there's really not any frauding and slips. It's really not a Freudian slip. You just said what was really in you. Now, you, meant to, you might not have meant to say it in front of everybody, which is why you call it a slip. But you believe what you said. That's why you said it. The problem is, is that that works that way with everything. So if it works in the negative, it can work in the positive or the affirmative. If I get God's word so filled in me, when something happens, I won't be able to say anything but what the word says. And wouldn't it be wonderful that when sickness showed up, the first thing that came out of my mouth was that I'm healed of the Lord. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the first time they diagnosed my child with a learning disability, I said, nope, my kids are anointed to learn. And all the teachers they're ever going to have are anointed to teach them. That they excel in school, and if they do well, and in fact they graduate with high honors. Wouldn't that be a better confession than, oh, my Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. But whatever you put in your heart is what is going to come out in abundance, and it can't be anything other than that. And so when we talk about this, this power and this authority, I want you to understand this. So let's hit this first point. Number one, this first point about Adam receiving his authority. So when we talk about Adam receiving his authority, there's two scriptures I want you to just kind of think about. Let's go back to point number one. Because, there we go. Adam receives his authority. Adam was created by God. He was given such authority that, we, that, that there's a thing in the Bible that says this. It says that God brought the animals to Adam. But when he brought the animals to Adam, if you read the story clearly, the Bible says that what he actually did was he put his hands in the dirt. He scooped up dirt, just a pile of dirt, and he said to Adam, what is this? And the Bible says that whatever Adam called it, that's what it became. Power and authority, whatever you call it, is what it becomes. So literally, if you could get the picture, God and Adam are in the midst of the garden. He's scooping up dirt. He says, Adam, what is this? Adam says, it's a bird, and the dirt flies away. Literally, he picks up dirt. He says, what is this? And Adam says, it's an elephant, and literally, it becomes an elephant. He illustrates this point for you and I because the Bible says that we were made in God's the Bible says that Adam was made in God's. So if Adam can call those things that be not, and they can become, church, you can too. Amen. There are things in your life that you need to be scooping up. Amen. Quit calling it a pile of dirt. Call it what you see in it. Amen. Don't, don't, don't scoop up your debt and call it poverty. Scoop it up and say, I have more than enough to put in store. Tell them to say it's time to call it something. Now, the Bible says in Genesis 126, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, and over every cattle and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. It says in verse 27, So God created man in his image, in the image of God created he him, and made male and female. Verse 28 says, and God blessed them. Let me not skip over this. Let me help you. I'm not just preaching to men. I'm preaching to men and women. Literally, this whole ideology about what a woman can do and a man can do this, but a woman can't do that. Listen, that's foolishness. That's doctrine. God said in the beginning, before he actually ever created man, he created in man, man and woman. 
So, so literally, when he called Adam, he called woman. So don't let somebody tell you, ladies, that there are certain things you can't do because somehow the anointing on your life is less than somebody else. You are just as powerful, you're just as anointed, and you are just as powerful. So the Bible says he called them together. Verse 28 says, and God blessed them, male and female, and God said unto them, male and female, he says, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. He says, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every th living thing that moveth upon the earth. It says, and God said, behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth in every tree in the which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed. And you shall have it for meat. Now, notice when he says this to them, here's what he says. He says, I've given you power and authority. And with the power and authority, I gave you a seed. And he said, that seed contains everything you need. If you plant it, if you cultivate it, you can eat the harvest of it. So literally, what God is saying to you and I, if you translate what he's saying to Adam to our day and time, God says, I've called you, I've given you power and authority, and I've given you skills and talents or seed. He says, now, whether you eat off that seed or not will depend on how well you plant that seed, how much time you spend cultivating that seed, and whether you believe it's going to bring you a harvest. There's not a farmer in the world who gets up at 4 o'clock in the morning and plows his field all throughout the plowing season. And then he waters it, he protects it, he weeds it the whole time. Talking about, I ain't going to get no harvest, I ain't going to get no harvest, I ain't going to get no harvest. The reason he gets up at 4 a.m. is because he believes at the end there's going to be a harvest. The reason I come to church and learn the word is because I believe at the end. Y'all preaching this morning you got to believe there's going to be a harvest coming because God promised it. He said, everything I gave you, I gave it to you. And the Bible says, and, and later on in the New Testament, it says he gave us everything that pertains to what? Life and Verse 30. It says, and every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the air and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And then verse 31 says, And God said everything that he had made, and behold, he saw it, and it was good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now understand something. God gave us all of this power and authority, not just to sit back and say, we got it. He gave us the power and authority so that we could use it because he understood that you and I were going to need it to live in this earth where there was a devil running around, but he didn't want us to be subjugated to that devil. So he gave us the power and the ability and the authority to live at a higher level. Amen. Take a neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor. It's, time it's time to go back to Eden. Yeah, when we sing the song, that's what we're talking about. It's time to go back to when we got that power and that authority given to our lives. Now, understand, God creates, but notice what he did after he created. He delegated. He created, but he delegated his authority to man. And who did he give that authority to? Adam. And by, and by, and by virtue of giving it to Adam, when he created Eve and called Eve out of her, he gave her the same power and the same authority. Now, Psalms chapter 8, verse 3 through 9, talks about the authority that was given in his name. Because when you have real authority... Authority is always based on where it comes from. Because I can't tell my youngest child to go tell your child to come to me. Because your child might not recognize me as an authority figure. They'll be like, I ain't coming to him. Ain't my mama, ain't my daddy. How many of those people done said that before? We were laughing the other day because we got a lot of kids in our neighborhood. And our thing is if you come to our house, I don't have to be your mom and daddy, but you're going to do what I say do when you're at my house. Because that's power and authority. But it's funny because one of the little kids, you know, a, few, a little while back, she didn't recognize that. So she was like, well, you ain't my daddy. Well, I am why you're here. <laughs> See how power and authority will just take dominion wherever it goes? See, power and authority is not subjugated. It says, you know what? I have power and authority, and any place I have influence in my realm, I'm going to exercise that power and authority. And so the Bible in Psalms chapter 8, it begins to talk about this. And I won't read all of it, but I want to read the first few verses. It says, when I consider thy heavens in the work of thy fingers, the moons and the stars which thou hast ordained. It says, he asked the question, what is man that thou art mindful of him? 
and the son of man that thou visitest him. Verse 5 says, for thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. Now hear me when I say this. When you read this scripture and it says that you have been made a little lower than the angels, understand that that interpretation is a little off. Because if you read it uh, in its original translation, it says you've been created a little lower than Elohim. Now, Elohim is capital E-L. Whenever you see capital E-L as opposed to little E-L, it means, little E-L means a God. Big E-L means the God. So it says you have been created a little lower than the big God. Not angels. And we know that that's a wrong translation because the Bible says that angels that we give, they're, they're ministering angels. They do what we ask them to do. So how many know you can't be subjugated to somebody you over? So tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, neighbor. we are not, we are not lower, lower than angels. Than say, in fact, in fact we, have we have millions of angels working for us. Oh, I wish I understood that. Now, now, you, now you want to talk about a teaching? You want to talk about a teaching if you understood the fact that when you open your mouth and you say something that the Bible says that angels cannot distinguish between your voice and God's because they sound the same to him. So when you begin to declare that sickness is over your life, angels move just as fast for you when you speak God's word as they do when God speaks to them. Ah, That's the power and the authority that Adam had. And the Bible says, in fact, that the angels looked at God and they said, what is it about man that you are so mindful of him? Why do you spend so much time always being concerned about how man is? And God says, because I made him after my own image. And literally, when God sees you and I struggle, it, it's, it's like he's struggling himself. He sees us and he sees us just like he sees himself. And so my job is to get you to see yourself just like God sees you. And so we understand that Adam received this authority. But then the mistake would happen. Point number two, Adam made a treacherous decision. Because in this particular thing, we find out that God told Adam, he said, Adam, he said, I've given you everything in this garden. He says, you can partake of everything, but there's just one thing I need you to set aside for me. He said, just, just one thing, and I need you not to eat the fruit that's in the tree in the midst of the garden. He said, you can eat everything else. He said, it's all yours. He said, all I need you to do is to set that aside because that represents the power and the authority that I've given you. He said, but it also represents the fact that you never forget who gave you that power and authority. Because you know you don't eat of this tree because I told you not to eat of this tree. And so the Bible says that there was this serpent and he was beautiful and he was cunning and he came. And, 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 and depending on who tells the story, it's the woman's fault. Or depending on who tells the story, it's the man's fault. But that's why I started off by saying he gave them power and authority. But Sean said, well, clearly the man's fault. <laughs> <laughs> we ain't going to deal with who fault it is. What we're going to deal with is the fact that they didn't obey God. Yes, and in not obeying God, they forfeited their power and authority. The same thing is true. When we talk about disobeying God, we ain't talking about whether you saved or not. I, you may not agree with me, but, but, the, but theologically, I can prove it to you. Once you get saved, you are saved. There, there, is no, there is no going back and forth and all that stuff. Listen, if the power to save you can save you and something else can get you unsaved, that power wasn't great in the beginning. Oh, no, no, folks like, wait a minute now, pastor. Listen, let me help you. The Bible says that you were born of an incorruptible seed. Now, y'all, we got enough degrees in this room to plaster this wall with. What does incorruptible mean? It can't be. So if I get born of something that can't be corrupted, how is sin going to corrupt it? If sin. If sin can corrupt it, then which one is stronger, sin or the blood? Now you sing the song. Now you sing the song. There's nothing but the blood. You sing that. You just go on and on about the blood and how the blood did this and the blood did that and nothing but the blood and you sing about the blood. But then you're always talking about how you got how you done sin and how you're going to hell. The sin was not about a destination. The sin 
that the enemy brought to Adam was to get him to let go of his power and authority. He didn't care where Adam ended up. The devil doesn't care where you end up. His job is to make your life hell on earth. He really don't care where you end up. Oh, you end up in glory with the streets paved in gold, but you live like hell for 75 years. He doesn't care. He wants to wreak havoc over the place where he has dominion. But God never intended for you to be subjugated to living your life like hell on earth. The Bible says as it is in so it is on the earth. But only if you take back your power and your authority. And so the Bible begins to talk to us in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. He says to them, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, watch this, and he ate too. So however you want, now, 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 he got the instruction from God. God said, Adam, don't you eat that. Now, as the head, it was his job to instruct everybody in his family, we don't mess with that. Now, the Bible says that she took an eight. We don't see anything bad happen until he showed up and he ate too. So now you can talk about who fault it is. My point in preaching today <laughs> is that wives be careful not to influence your husbands to do things they shouldn't be doing. Husbands, be careful that you don't love anything more than you love God. Because if those two things happen, then the family unit is secured. See, that's what the devil was trying to do. He was even messing with the family back then. He was trying to cause confusion and dissentment between the husband and the wife, even back then. Why? Because he understands that he doesn't really have any real power of authority, but if he can conquer and divide, then he can cause all kind of havoc to happen. Let's make the all the married couples ought to make this confession. Say, I declare, I declare in the name of Jesus, there will not, there will not be, any be any confusion or havoc in my house. And you ought to clap and give God some praise. Now, 1 Timothy 2.14 says, And Adam was not deceived. Okay, that's what it says. But the woman being deceived was in transgression. So the Bible says that it is the man's responsibility to make sure that he is instructing and covering his family in the things that are necessary. So I'm saying to the men of this house, if you have children, you ought to be the one making sure your kids are making those confessions. You can't just leave that to your wife. You can't leave all the spiritual maturing, all the spiritual growth, and just say, oh, that's a woman business. That was Adam's business. So you got to make sure that when it comes, see, I, I have, I'm, people will tell you, when I talk to guys in the marriage group, and so I'm hard on men. Now, now here's the reason. Because if somebody wasn't hard on me, I'd still be that same crazy dude from 20 years ago. But here's what I'll tell you. If you want to have someone to be submitted to you, you got to be worthy of submission. Now, I don't know about the guys, but y'all women ought to be tearing some chairs up in here. I get why the men sitting there looking at me like, come on, pastor, let's get through. I get that. I understand why they doing it, but you women ought to be going crazy up in here. I'm preaching down your lane. Let me, let, me, let me say it again. Say it again. Let me come back stand right, right where I was last time. Men, you cannot allow your wives to do all the spiritual maturing. You got to be able to do it because it wasn't just man's business. It was Adam's business in the beginning. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Y'all got it that time. So we got to make sure, men, that we are doing those things. As we can't be sending our wives to church. We can't be sending our kids to church. We got to be bringing them. We got to be bringing them. Because if we can strengthen the family, we get that power and that authority back in the right position where it's supposed to be. Amen? Let's go to number three, and we'll finish up on number three today. Number three, point number three is after Adam's transgression, after his treacherous decision, is when we see Satan show up. 
Satan's rule and dominion in the earth. Now, 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 now here's, here's how Satan got his jump start. Because Adam disobeyed God. And if you want to give the devil a jumping off place in your life, disobey God. If you want to give the devil access to wreak havoc in your life, you disobey God. You See, it, and understand something. It matters not to me what you look like when you come to church. Here's what I mean. I don't care how you shout. I don't care how you praise. I don't care if you fast. I don't care if you give. I don't care what you do. The real testament to your life is what you do when nobody's watching. Are you obeying God when you by yourself? Are you obeying God when you're around other folk who don't know you go to church? Because the reality of it is what you do in here for a little while is not going to be good enough to sustain you when pressure comes. Because whatever is in you is going to come out of you eventually. How many know if you squeeze an orange, sooner or later, some orange juice is going to come out? Uh -huh. So if we squeeze you long enough, if pressure and stress comes long enough, there's going to be something in you that, that whatever it is, it's going to come out of you. Whatever is truly in you. And so you got to make sure that what's in you is the word of God. Because the Bible says that Satan used this opportunity of their disobedience to come in and wreak havoc over them. In fact, if you read in the book of Genesis, you know that childbirth was painless prior to the fall? Yeah. It was. It was. It, it was painless. And so, but, but now the, the Bible said, he told the woman, he said, you're going to have pains and you're going to travail during childbirth because of this transgression that you've caused. So this whole idea that, 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 that it's supposed to be painful and they have to cut on you and, and do all this stuff when you're having a baby, that ain't the will of God for your life. Now, now, now somebody says, what does this have to do with it? Because I remember when my wife first got pregnant, that was her confession. She, I don't know, I guess she, she don't like pain, but she was like, that, that was the one thing I really remember her just confessing every day. She had me confessing. I was like, I ain't going to have no pain regardless. <laughs> she had me confessing every day. She wasn't going to have no pain, and it was going to be a quick birth. She wasn't going to have no pain. It was going to be a quick birth. And how many know when you start off in faith, sometimes your faith don't quite work the way you want it to, but you don't give up. You keep going. You keep going. Listen, by the time she had Canaan, she was walking in the kitchen. She was walking. She said, oh, I'm about to have this baby. We went to the hospital, and in an hour and 45 minutes, that baby was born. She had perfected that thing by then. But we wasn't going for number six. We was done. We was like, you have perfected it. It is great. We done. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so you got to make sure that when, when you see a promise in the Bible, you got to grab hold to that promise. And the way you grab hold of the promise is you keep making the promise. You keep saying it over and over and over and over again. Now watch this. Satan's rule, Luke chapter 4, verse 6. It says, and the devil said unto him, all this power I will give thee and the glory of them for that is delivered unto me, and to whosoever I will give it unto you. Here's what you got to understand. Even the devil came to Jesus and tried to get Jesus to give up his power and authority. He said to him, he said, if you'll just bow down to me, if you'll just worship me, if you'll just do this, if you'll just do that, if you'll turn this stone into bread, if you'll cast yourself off this cliff, he says, if you'll just do that, I'll give you all this power, and you can worship over everything. And how many of you know that there are times that things sound really good, but if you already know what you have, you don't ever have to succumb to something somebody suggests you. Jesus says, man, get out of here, Satan. He said, get thee behind me. He says, I, I already, everything you're offering me, I already have. So if the devil says to you, oh, if you just stop going to church, you know, spend more time, you know, just being positive, you can get healed. No, devil, I ain't doing that. I already know what I have. The devil says, you know what, just, just cheat on your taxes just this one time. Get, just, just a little come up. Just cheat just, just, just this one time. Don't do it. You already have everything you need. Don't be claiming kids you ain't, got, you ain't got in your house. Using fake social security numbers trying to get back a bigger check. Don't do that. There's a better way. Oh, y'all act like y'all ain't know nobody. I ain't talking about y'all. But you act like you don't know nobody. Now y'all like, oh, yeah, I know somebody. I know. I know. So we got to make sure that we don't. Take your neighbor say, neighbor. neighbor. Say, never. Take a, take a shortcut to get God's blessing. Get God's blessing. Oh, don't take a shortcut to get God's blessing. 
Don't take a shortcut. Stay in there. Do what God has asked you to do. And I'm telling you, you're going to come out on top. We're going to hit the rest of these points over the next couple of weeks. But just remember, just because Satan has dominion in this earth doesn't mean he has dominion over you. You've been said, I asked earlier, any born-again believers in here? If you're a born-again believer, you are not subjugated to the devil's rule. Amen? Amen. This last verse, 1 Corinthians 4 and 4, 2 Corinthians. It says, in whom the God of this world, that's the devil, he has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Notice what happens when you don't believe. The devil comes in and he blinds you. He blinds you to the things of God when you don't believe. Believing is a choice. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, neighbor. Believing, believing is a choice. I use this example all the time because people know it. Not you, but your friends. You ever had a friend? Because, see, people get happy when you talk about their friends. Not them so much. But have you ever had a friend who you tried to tell that the person they was dating wasn't being faithful? But they didn't want to hear nothing you had to say. In fact, they were like, you jealous of me? You hating on me? You just don't want me to be happy? You just jealous because I got somebody better than who you got? All this other stuff, right? But in the end, what you said was true. But you was their friend to the end from the beginning. Why didn't they believe you? Because the thing they wanted had blinded them. Because the thing, and, and people even saw warning signs and didn't want to believe it. Why? Because the thing you wanted blinded you. You can't be so desirous of something that if God says no, you're still trying to find a way to get it. Oh, I could set you free this morning. Some of y'all just need to break up already. You keep trying to hold on to him. You keep trying to invite him to church. He ain't came in six months. You need to obey God. Mm-hmm. Some of y'all, the Lord done told y'all to go back to school, and you keep talking about how you can't do it. Don't wait till you lose your job and be forced to go back to school. Make provision while you have provision. Don't be blinded by things that devil's trying to blind you to when God is saying something different. When God says something, obey God. It says, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel. What did we say the gospel was? It was too good to be true news. That the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, which is the image of God, shine unto them. That's why I want to keep teaching this word to you, teaching you to understand about your authority and about your power, because it, the word is the image of God. And if you get the word, the image of God inside of you, it becomes bigger than every problem, every situation, every obstacle, and every pitfall that you could ever encounter. And when that happens, you become a person who's a believer who begins to live in authority. Amen?